Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapters 15, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around hearing Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes the sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got all his stuff together, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. So he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself to a citizen of the country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against the heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. While his father was still a long, while he was still a long, a long way off, his father saw him and filled his compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arm around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against the heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatty calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked, what's going on? Your brother has come, he said, and your father has killed a fatty calf because he had him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've slaved for you and you never never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered his property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed a fatty calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God for people of God. Thanks be to God.
Would you pray with me? Gracious God, fill us with your spirit this day. Fill us with your spirit such that our hearts and our souls run over. So much so that as we pour out of this place and out into the world, that we would be transformed into not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word, and share that message with a world that so desperately needs to hear it. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So several years ago, my wife and I had one of those moments of what I will call profound parental weakness. We had a three-year-old yellow lab. He was great. We finally got him where he'd sort of calmed down and he was a bit maybe even lazy. He was fun. He was warm. And our daughter started this campaign of we ought to get another pet. Now they started this and it was everything under the sun from a, from a bird, like a scarlet macaw, whatever that is. Uh, I was thinking for a toucan if we were going to get a bird. But anyway, another bird, Mary quickly ruled that out and said, I don't need another thing talking back to me. Hang on there, there's something coming. But anyway, and then there was something about a hamster or a rabbit or something. And I could only imagine the lab carrying it around in its mouth. So this was not going to be good. And they settled on another dog. So we kept saying, well, we don't know, we don't know. And so one night after dinner, the girls pushed back from the table and said, we want to have a discussion. And they had worked out the world's best kid-friendly PowerPoint presentation using Post-it notes as to why we should get another pet and what pet this should be. So I'll make a long story a little bit shorter, and basically we ended up conceding to the idea that, yes, another pet sounds great, let's get another dog, and what better companion for a lab than a beagle? Some of you laugh, some of you have groan, so how many of you have experienced a beagle? Yes. Let me tell you about beagles. There is a reason that God made beagles as cute as they are. That's so that you will not kill your beagle. <laughs> because I'm convinced that somehow or other, somewhere in the DNA of the beagle is a little bit of the devil. I mean, let's be clear. Beagles howl. They dig up your backyard. They howl. They chase squirrels and rabbits and anything that is like them. And guess what? They howl a lot. Now, to make matters worse, our beagle is a bit of a runner. Our beagle is one of those that when she sees an opening outside of the enclosure of the house or the backyard, if she sees this much daylight, she's making a run for it. She is desiring to escape. I mean, we're a good house. We feed the dog. We love the dog, right? Why would you want to leave? Well, there was one day that Mary and the girls had gone shopping and I was working in the garage, working on a table or something, and I had the garage door up to let some of the springtime air in. It was a day much like today. And I had the door up and I had gone into the house to get a drink or something. As I came out, apparently the beagle was right lockstep with my feet and there was this much room and she was gone. 
into the garage. And then she paused for a minute, turned and looked at me. And at that moment that says, oh, you know what's about to happen. She looked at me and almost smiled, wagged her tail and ran for it. And as she goes up the street howling, it was one of those howls like that scene in uh, Braveheart where, you know, Mel Gibson's character shouts, freedom! Well, she was howling, and I'm convinced that if you could translate that, she was howling freedom for all the world to hear. Well, I mean, I'm yelling, bad dog. She's got the shot collar on. I'm pushing the button. Her twitching. She's howling, freedom! She looked back at one point like, I may be, but you can't catch me. And that was it. She's gone. I drove around the neighborhood for about 15 minutes, and I would think, oh, she's in the next cul-de-sac. I hear her howling. I'd get over there, and she was two miles away. I'd go, it seemed like an eternity, and she would be eight miles away. And so I just gave up. So I drove home and I thought to myself, how am I going to explain this to my daughter that their beloved puppy is gone? Now, meantime, in the house, the lab has heard bad dog. He's hiding under the bed. He's like, what did I do? But I'm hiding. And I am rehearsing this speech. How am I going to tell the girls that, you know what? I wasn't paying attention. The dog went. You know how the dog is. She's gone. And I am dreading this conversation. I go back to working on the table a little bit. And I guess an hour's gone by. And I look at the top of the driveway and who should be sitting there wagging the tail? But dear Lacey, our sweet beagle. Now the temptation you have if you chase a dog like this before is to go run after them. Now, obviously she's escaped enough to know that um, this is not what I wanna do because it only is gonna make it worse. So I got down on my knees and I threw my arms open and I said, Lacey, good dog. And yeah, I know, not really a good dog, but I thought it would work. And she came running at me like it was so awesome to be home, like I had been lost and I had found the house. And I wrapped her up in my arms and she wiggled and howled and licked and wagged her tail and all of that. And I immediately raced into the garage, shut the garage door, opened the door, went in the house. I was so thankful that dog was home. She howled, it was excitement. It was a glorious moment because she had come home and I had been worried about her. In today's text, Jesus is finishing up the three parables on lost things, trying to explain to all who would listen of how valuable we are to God, how valuable a relationship with God is to us. He talked about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and now was talking about the lost son. You see, the Pharisees, they had been grumbling, had been griping in the corners. They had noticed that Jesus was spending what they thought was an inordinate amount of time hanging out with the wrong sort of crowd. He'd been talking to sinners and breaking bread with them and eating with them. And they were concerned that he was, had misplaced priorities and not focused on the right things. But you see, we know that today's story is really that God rejoices anytime one of God's children comes home. 
Anytime one that is lost comes back into God's ever loving arms, wrapped back up with God and held closely to God's heart, that God rejoices. It's a story of love and of grace. It explains God's love in a way that we totally understand it and its fullness. Years ago, uh, a child asked his grandfather, he said, I want to understand God's love. Tell me how much God loves us. So the grandfather took his grandson out into a field at night and they looked to the east and they looked to the west. They looked to the north and then back to the south. And the grandfather said, you see all the stars, the vastness of space. And the grandson said, yes. The grandfather said, God's love is even more vast than that. And we hear this in today's story in it, the fact that we begin to realize that God's love is that vast and even more so than all the stars of heaven that we can see at night. For in our story today, we have two sons, one, the older one who is cautious and industrious, works hard, plays by all the rules, does everything that he's expected to do. You have his younger brother who is ambitious, a bit more carefree, brash even in a sense. But then you have the father. The father who is a good man, who does like any parent wants, who does like God, who wants just the best for his children. And so as the story unfolds, we hear the younger son come to the father and ask for his inheritance. Now, in those days, the way the birthright and the inheritance worked, it wasn't a 50-50 split. The older son automatically got two-thirds of the inheritance, two-thirds of the estate. The younger son would get one-third of it. But here's what makes this story interesting. As you know about inheritance, that doesn't pass until you die. But yet the younger brother has this boldness, this crassness to come to the father and to say, you know, dad, I'm ready. I'm ready to kind of go out in the world and do my own thing. I'll tell you what, can I have my share of the inheritance? Now, anybody that hears the story goes, wait a minute, your dad's not even dead yet. How dare you be so bold as to ask for it? And what's even more amazing is yet the boldness of the son, but even the graciousness of the father. The father does this unheard of, with this unheard request, he actually gives over the younger son's share of the inheritance. Gives it to him freely and says, go and make something of yourself in the world. Go and do. Doesn't really give any stipulations, no warnings, just gives it freely to his son and says, go. Now, we know what happens next because we've read this story many a time and we hear in the Bible, we know that the son goes and squanders it. He goes through like a kid in a candy store. He just loses all sense of reason. He forgets his values. He forgets his mores. He forgets the teachings. He kind of forgets the rules of life and he blows through in his inheritance and he finds himself destitute. Finds himself so poor in spirit and so poor in resources that he takes up a job as a caretaker for the dirtiest animal of their time, pigs. Where he sleeps in the pen with the pigs, where he can't even eat the pods he feeds the pigs because he is that poor and that lowly. And so it's in that moment that he realizes that his life has hit a rock bottom like no one he has ever experienced before. 
and he realizes he's got to turn it around. That he's on maybe the wrong road altogether. He's headed definitely in the wrong direction. So he's got to make a U-turn, if you will, and turn his world around. So while he mourns his state, he realizes, you know, the servants in my father's house, they are so much better off than I am. I will go home to my father hat in hand. I will apologize for the way that I've embarrassed the family for how I've sinned against my father, how I've squandered my inheritance. And I will just beg to be at least a servant in my father's house. So he thinks that through some more and he begins to ponder that. And he begins to construct his speech, how he wants to pitch his case to his father. I mean, even to go so far as to say to him, Father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer your son. I'm not that worthy. Can I just please reside as a servant? And so as he gets it right in his heart and he gets himself, he gets himself set, he begins to journey home. Now, what he doesn't know is that the whole time that he's been gone, his father wonders what has happened to him, wonders what he's made of himself, wonder where he is in the world. And so he spends his days looking to the horizon, looking for word or sight of his son. I imagine that as the son nears the home, he climbs the hill and he begins to see over into his father's land, his father's kingdom, if you will. And as he sees that, he knows he's almost home. But what he doesn't know is that his father is looking too. And his father sees him. And he's moved with such great love that he runs to his son and he wraps his arms around him and pulls him close. And as the, as the younger son begins to tell that speech about how unworthy he is, the father just hushes him right there on the spot and tells the servants, get a robe, get a good one, get the ring, get some sandals. Let's start a barbecue. My son who was lost, he's home. We must celebrate. Not the outcome the younger brother was expecting, is it? The father is so moved by this. Hearing the commotion in the field and what's going on, the older brother goes to the servants and he asks them, he's got a whole different perspective on this, doesn't he? We find out that he's angry that there's a party being thrown for his brother who squandered the wealth and squandered the birthright. And he's justified in the anger, but there's also a bit of jealousy. He's worried. See, he's worried that what is left of the estate, that remaining two-thirds, is now possibly going to be split again. He's worried about that. And then he feels betrayed because he's done everything right. And he hasn't been received with such great love and fervor. And that's when it happens. That's when the father teaches us one more lesson in this story. If it wasn't enough to give the inheritance when it was so boldly asked for, if it wasn't enough to wrap the son who had been lost in his arms and to stop the speech and to welcome him home with open arms, it was to turn to the older son and to say, son, it's okay. What I have is yours. You have been with me always and I love you so deeply. What I have is yours. You have no need to worry about losing one thing. But what is more important is that we should celebrate because this brother of yours, this child of mine that was lost has come home and is now in our family again. And we are whole. That's what we should rejoice about. We should rejoice that someone has come home and is back within our family.
See, the power in the parable for us is truly the words and the actions of the Father. It shows us a story of repentance for sure, but really it's a story of grace and of love. Because the Father, he could have, when the Son so, so boldly asked for the inheritance, could have said to him, fine, here it is, you are dead to me. Don't come asking for anything else. Go and do and be. I don't want to hear any more from you. Or when the son came back and asked for forgiveness, he could have said, sure, you can come back, but there's going to be conditions and rules and ways that we're going to do it. But instead, what does he do? He doesn't shut the door on his son. He doesn't give him a set of rules and conditions. Instead, he wraps his arms around him and holds him close and rejoices that he's back. The implication for you and for me is this. We have received our inheritance from God, have we not? We have received an outpouring of God's love and grace in Jesus Christ and his love for us. And we have gone out into the world to live it and take it and to seize it and to make the most of it. God has never left us, though. God has always stood, even as we have gone out into the world with this inheritance, God has always stood on the hilltop looking to the horizon for the fruits of our labor. We read in our communion liturgy that what it says in there, when our love failed, your love remained steadfast. Talking about when we have squandered our inheritance, when we have not been the people that God has wanted us to be, that God has stayed there and has loved us. We hear in Psalm 136 over and over again, God's steadfast love remains forever. You see, God doesn't shut the door on you and me as we go out into the world with our inheritance trying to live it. Instead, God waits there watching the horizon to see the fruits of our labor, to see how we will live it, to see how we will be the people that God has called us to be, to love our neighbors, to love God with all of our hearts. So as we sit here on the fifth Sunday of Lent in this period where we evaluate our journey and see where we are going and what road we are upon, let us examine our relationship. Let us examine the closeness we have for God. Have we taken our inheritance and have we run out the door and have we yelled freedom thinking that there are no consequences, thinking that we can do whatever we want with our inheritance? Have we gone out the door thinking that we can't come home again? But as we heard in the hymn this morning, God is patiently waiting, softly calling to you and to me to come home, to be a part of God's family, waiting with open arms. And so when we realize that we have been on a road from time to time in our lives or we are not headed in the direction that God wants for us, what we know through grace and through love is that we can make a U-turn ourselves. We can turn back to God and we can live lives of fullness and meaning where we are doing no harm, doing good, staying close to God. We're faithfully practicing the gifts that God has given to us. And we share God's love with everyone around us. You see, when we make that turn and we begin to live that way, that we find that God is standing there with open arms, is so excited that we are coming closer to home, that God rushes to us, wraps us up, in God's ever-loving arms and says, welcome home, my child. 
You were lost, but now you're found. You I love so much, so let the celebration begin. You are home and a part of the family of God. And so though that, my friends, that is such good news for us today. Because no matter what road we're on, we know that all the roads lead to the cross. And by leading to the cross, they provide us a way back to God and back into fellowship and right relationship where we experience the ever-loving presence of God and the ever-closeness of God's love for us. So this day, let us bask in that love. Let us bask in that grace. Let us feel the loving arms of God surround us as God welcomes us closer to God's side and that we live lives that honor God and tell the world around us of that kind of love. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.